Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you as always. Yes, Christopher and I are so happy to do this ministry work together. It's kind of amazing because I'm a stay-at-home person who doesn't get up in front of crowds, but here I am at our home. We've been doing it for almost three years. Just with a little microphone, and it works, works for us. It's so nice. It is nice. <laughs> I, I, I remember being so thrilled when we started this that you and I were back doing ministry together working on this project. It had been so many years, yeah. like prior to kids coming around, uh, that we had worked so actively together on something like this. Yeah. And we're, we're coming up pretty soon on our, what, 150th, what is this? This is our 148, I believe. I think so, yeah. Wow. So thank you, you faithful listeners. We couldn't have a show called Ask Christopher West, hosted by Wendy West. If we didn't have your questions. If we didn't have your questions. <laughs> so you guys are the ones who make this all possible. Thank you so much. And actually, I wanted to share with everybody a comment from one of our patrons, um, named Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Mitch says, hi, this is actually not a question. Rather, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the work that you do. And I just want to share that I'm so happy to be part of this community. I've been watching your YouTube channel and listening to your podcast for months now. Oh, that's great. And this month, I've finally become a patron. This Thank is, you, Mitch. This is actually my birthday gift to myself. <laughs> <laughs> God is so amazing. He provided me resources to be able to pay for the subscription. God bless you, Christopher and Wendy, and the whole team behind this community. Thank you, Mitch. We're so grateful to you for your support. And Mitch, make sure you are taking advantage of all the ongoing formation, uh, resources, videos, study series, retreats, a whole library of talks, and all kinds of other stuff that we offer our patrons. So go Make sure, Mitch, you go to your patron homepage and check out all those benefits we offer. So grateful to you for your monthly support, and thanks for your encouragement. Do you have anything to tell our listeners about things going on with the TOB Institute? Yes, we have a Way of Beauty course taught by my dear friend and colleague, Bill Dunahy. That's coming up very soon. You can check out the link to learn more about that. That's an online course. Uh, we have open registration for the Marian Mystery course that I will be teaching in January at the retreat center here in Pennsylvania. This is only the second time I will be teaching this course, and I'm thrilled. When I taught it in October a year ago, it was uh, by far the favorite course I'd ever taught. And yeah, there's I just love... I love unfolding for people the beauty and mystery of Mary through the lens of theology of the body. So if that's of interest to you, check out the link for that. And speaking of the Blessed Mother, we are leading a pilgrimage to visit Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City from December 2nd to the 7th. I believe those are the dates. And registration, man, we're getting down to the wire. We're going to be closing that very soon. So check out the link there if you want to go on pilgrimage with us to Mexico City. It's going to be an amazing spirit-filled trip. Mm. Excellent. 
Let me jump in with a question from one of our patrons. Very good. This is from Father Daniel. Hey, Father Daniel. He says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, a situation I often face in my ministry is that of a woman wishing to get married and have a family, but not finding a man. Mm. I'll see this person as years pass, and I realize how far away I am as a man from really understanding the depth of this suffering. These women are somehow facing a countdown. I'm actually hoping you can recommend some Theology of the Body resources for a woman in such a situation. Any suggestions? Bless you, Father Daniel. Thank you for your love for this woman and for all women who are in this situation. Men can be in this situation as well, but since you're speaking particularly here of a woman, that's what we'll try to speak into here. Uh, I, I agree with you, Father Daniel. This is, is a particularly deep pain that women suffer. They have a, a very beautiful, natural yearning to be a wife, to be a mother, and they're dealing with the body clock that uh, a woman's fertility doesn't last forever, whereas a man can father a child well into old age. A woman cannot, as we all know. So there is that that added sense of, uh, I, I want to beat the clock here. Uh, and I, I, I just want to start off by just showing reverence to that suffering. That suffering is real. That suffering is sacred. Christ is present in that suffering. And I think in our modern world, women are paying a particularly high price here in uh, a sexually chaotic and very confused culture. Uh, rightfully, we could describe it as a pornographic culture, a, a, a total distortion of the meaning of marital love. That's what a pornographic culture promotes. The fallout is going to be felt in a particular way by women. There are fewer and fewer men who are prepared to be husbands, prepared to be fathers. There's that old adage, right? It's, it's kind of a crass way to put it, but the truth behind it is, is well, it's just that. It's true. Uh, if, if you get the milk for free, why buy the cow? Right. I mean, what's problematic there is we're comparing a woman to a cow. That's not, it's not the intention. But the, the point is men who are sexually uh, indulging in the pornographic culture, whether that be just through a fantasy life or through, you know, Tinder and hooking up with women on a regular basis— the motivation, not the only motivation, but a major, God-given, natural, wired-into-a-man motivation for marriage is to have somewhere to direct his God-given desire for the sexual embrace. Uh, and, and marriage, the grace of marriage, uh, directs that in a, in a healthy, holy way. When that drive is directed in an unhealthy and unholy way, uh, such men, and in fact, men get trained in that direction. Not that women don't also, but that's not what we're talking about here. That's a whole other topic. Women are also deeply affected by the 
sexual chaos and disorder of a pornographic culture. But I'm speaking here to what I think is a rise in women who long for marriage and unmarriageable men that is the fruit of the pornographic culture. And, and women are par- carrying a particularly heavy cross here. All of that I have nothing but reverence for. And that suffering can and should be united with Christ on the cross, which is where the true marriage we all yearn for is consummated. Every woman can find her place, her identity, the full sense of her womanhood, the full sense of being bride and of being mother by being united with Mary at the foot of the cross. What does the new Adam say to the new Eve at the foot of the cross? He says, woman, behold your son. And here Christ is referring to the beloved disciple. Mary becomes a mother in another order at the foot of the cross by opening herself to that sorrow of the cross, Mary becomes a mother in a supernatural way. And we become, as Christians, as beloved disciples, we become her children. The fecundity of Mary's motherhood at the foot of the cross is fertile uh, beyond what we can dream or imagine. It is the most fertile motherhood that ever has been, right? The woman who bore Christ, that's, of course, she bears the Son of God. That The fertility of that is of another category. But as an extension of Mary's motherhood of Christ, right, she bears, if Christ and the church are one body, Mary bears the head in conceiving and birthing Christ, but she bears the body, that's all of us, at the foot of the cross. Mm. And my point in all of this is to say, that there is a there's a particular danger in our fallen world of idolizing marriage of thinking that especially here for a woman whose biological clock is ticking that the only way she can fulfill her very beautiful god-given longing to be a wife and a mother she may think the only way to fulfill that is to get married and bear children and yet Scripture speaks of those who don't marry as a sign of the kingdom, and Scripture speaks of the barren woman, the woman who bore no children, as more fertile, right? More are the children of the barren woman, of the woman who didn't bear children, than of she who was married and bore children. In other words, here Scripture is pointing to another dimension of being bride and of being mother. The biological union of of a husband and a wife, which is also sacramental, that is merely a sign of a much greater reality, the reality for which we are ultimately destined. This woman, Father Daniel, this woman you are ministering to, she is destined from eternity to be bride of Christ and to be mother in, in a supernatural dimension that is the superabundant fulfillment of biological motherhood, right? Every woman, by virtue of being a woman, 
is called to be wife and mother. Some are called to the sacrament of marriage and to bear children biologically, but all women, by the nature of being a woman, are called to marry Christ and become supernatural mothers, right? Every man, by virtue of being a man, is called in one way or another to be a husband and a father. Some will bear that out biologically, but every man is called to participate in the fatherhood of God in a supernatural kind of way. This is revealed very particularly in celibacy for the kingdom. This is why we call a priest father. This is why we call Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa. But that is to say, all of that is to say, there's a particular danger in in thinking this world is all there is. And if my biological clock runs out, then there's no chance for me ever to fulfill my desire for motherhood. That is a very understandable, but it's a very earthbound view. When we take the long view, and by that I mean recognizing that this world is over in a in the snap of a fingers when you compare it with eternity, which is what we are destined for, what happens in this life is over again just in a snap. When we take that long view, we can bear the sufferings of this life in view of the superabundant fulfillment of all of our God-given desires in the next life, in a supernatural dimension. All of that is just, you know, theological background, um, but I, I believe is, is rich uh, and, and very pastoral uh, food for thought uh, for you as a priest ministering to this woman and, and any woman who longs for a husband and, and isn't able to find one in this life. Her true husband, the true calling, the true fulfillment of that very sacred, holy yearning to be wife and mother can only be fulfilled in union with Jesus. Uh, Wendy, maybe you can speak into this. You, you obviously, you're my wife. You are the mother of our five awesome, beautiful children. But you also know that there's another dimension to the yearning that you've always known in your heart as a woman to be a wife and a mother, and that our marriage and and just the bearing of these children is not the ultimate fulfillment of that desire. Do you want to speak into that at all? I can just share that, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if my thoughts are helpful, but I thank you for the invitation to share. I can share that. I think that I, as a young single woman, even as a girl, even from the beginning of my life, had such a longing, such a love for babies and a longing to care for them that that there was a kind of idolization of motherhood that happened inside me that the only way to realize it was by becoming a mother and experiencing some of the just unexpected emotions that went along with my actual motherhood that was revealing to me, mm. you know, I was expecting something from this that it can't give me. And so that I can definitely relate to that with, you know, it's, it's hard for anybody who's longing for children to hear comments from yes, someone who yes, has who children. Says, yes. so I don't want to dwell on that very long, but I can say I, I have experienced that. I also was thinking, you know, he asked about resources and I know we, have been um, familiar with the um, Catholic singles that um, put on an annual yes. conference and certainly have 
a lot of influence from Theology of the Body in many of their presentations. And I wonder if we could just put a link to yeah. that, you know, to, to let people more know that there is a Catholic ministry specifically for single people, not assuming that, you know, that they must be called to religious life because they're right. Catholic right. single people, you know, but that that it's a whole complicated reality and kind of looking at all these different things, partly, you know, just what you've been talking about, what father brought up of women, but um, yeah, a lot of different angles of the experience of being a Catholic single adult. Yeah. Our dear friend, Anastasia Northrup, uh, who's very well versed in John Paul II's theology, the body runs this annual Catholic singles conference and then there's all kinds of ongoing things that she does throughout the year mm. as well. So it's it's a great networking opportunity. It's a great great opportunity to collect co- connect with other single Catholics mm-hmm. and, and to share experiences yeah. and learn from other people. Yeah. So we'll we'll provide a link for that in the show notes. Um, I, I want to say one more thing here that when I was talking about taking the long view. This is not at all to assume that that's going to erase the sorrow or the suffering of not fulfilling the desire to be married and be a biological mother in this life. But it will give that sorrow and that suffering an orientation that does not lead to despair, but leads to hope. This woman is not crazy to long, to ache, and to pine to be a wife and a mother. That is, as John Paul II says, that is the normal and noble calling of a human life, is to fulfill that desire for marriage and for children. But again, uh, I'll quote from John Paul II, he says, marriage and procreation do not determine definitively the original and fundamental meaning of being created male and female and being called to motherhood and fatherhood. They only give marriage and family life, only give a concrete expression to that meaning within the dimensions of history. This is why Jesus says, in the resurrection, we are no longer given in marriage. Why? Because we no longer need a sign to point us to the marriage of the Lamb, when we're living the marriage of the Lamb, recognizing that that is the true aim, that is the true orientation of human sexuality. What is? The marriage of the Lamb is the true orientation of all authentic human sexual longing, Mm. right? When we understand that, And when we really devote ourselves to that truth and allow that truth to direct our desires, then whether we get married in this life or not is no longer as important. I don't want to say it's unimportant, but it's no longer as important. Um, It's no longer, uh, getting married, you might say, could be icing on the cake, but we're no longer treating it as our cake our cake becomes the ultimate destiny, which is the marriage of the Lamb. And we learn it's okay to live without icing on the cake, because <laughs> the cake is given. The cake is for real. Mm. And it's a wedding cake. Did I mention that? <laughs> the marriage of the Lamb. I hope that's hope- helpful to you, Father Daniel, and I hope that is helpful, helpful to this dear woman you're seeking to minister to. Mm-hmm. 
Our next question is from a listener named Brad. Hello, Brad. I'm discerning marriage with a strong Catholic woman, and we're trying to be really practical with our conversations about children. I've always been so moved by the call to be fruitful in marriage. I find it so close to the heart of God and how he wants to teach us about his creative love. Mm. It's really hard for me to consider anything other than continuing to try over the course of our marriage every couple years until menopause. She's more specific in her thinking than I am and anticipates that between her body and capacity to love her kids and spouse, she really doesn't expect to be able to handle more than four, which is reasonable. She's 31 years old. I know we can't predict if we will even be able to have kids, but there's something that just doesn't sit right with me about projecting limits. I honestly believe that we can pull off whatever we need to financially, and I want to lay down my life for her and as many kids come our way makes me sad to anticipate that putting her needs above my own might include stopping having kids when we could have more. I don't know how I could ask my wife to throw out her back or have more kids if I'm really laying down my life for her, but I'm so moved by the thought of continual openness to sacrifice, to have more children in love. Perhaps the question is, what are some good reasons to stop having kids? Wow. That was a long way to get to that question. But that, what a beautiful journey he just took us on. He really gave us a beautiful window into his heart. Brad, I just want to say, brother, I love your heart. I really love his heart. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, this is a man who has truly allowed uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life to inform his view of married love. And well, it's rare. It's rare in our day and age. So, Brad, I, I love you, brother. I bless you, brother. It's a beautiful, beautiful sharing you've, you've given with us. Um, let, let me approach it from this angle, that as you yourself admitted and said, you really don't know what's going to happen. You don't even know if you're going to be able to, to have children. What you are expressing in your desire to, to remain open, uh, that never need change. Uh, what does openness to life mean? It means you are not rendering any of your sexual acts sterile, right? And we've talked in, in other podcasts about the difference here between rendering the act sterile and refraining from the act when there is just reason to avoid a child. And that's where this question really took us to at the end. Mm -hmm. What would be just reasons to refrain from the marital embrace uh, to avoid children? And of course, with natural family planning, or what is being called more and more, it seems, fertility awareness methods, when you're properly trained in them, you can know with 98 to 99% accuracy uh, when you are fertile uh, as a couple and when you are infertile as a couple. And if you apply stricter rules of abstinence, that goes up to near 100% uh, knowledge and certainty of when you can conceive and when coming together would mean you would not conceive. Receiving the nature of our fertility, male and female together, as God made it, and rejoicing in that, accepting that, represents a very, very different mentality than engaging in an otherwise fertile act that we render sterile. 
And if there are listeners out there who have never heard me say this before, I'll just say it quickly. Um, but people will often say, oh, come on, what is the big difference between sterilizing the act yourself and just waiting till it's naturally infertile? To which I respond, oh, come on, what is the big difference between killing grandma and just waiting till she dies naturally? Well, if you can tell the difference between euthanasia and natural death, you can tell the difference between contraception and natural family planning. It's the same difference. In one, God remains God, and in the other, we are taking the powers of life into our own hands, and we are making ourselves like God. So it is very clear here, Brad, from all that you have shared, that you do not want to make yourself like God. That if you have a just reason to avoid a child, then what you will do is refrain from the marital embrace when your wife is fertile, right? And you're asking, what would be just reasons? Well, I'll tell you a biggie that is just like kind of loud and clear in all of that you have shared. A biggie would be honoring and respecting and loving your wife in what she recognizes as her limitations. <laughs> that is a big motivator in, in, in a truly just reason to refrain from the marital embrace. In fact, if your wife truly, uh, in recognizing her limitations, and let me say this too, she also can't tell the future. She doesn't know you know, 10 years from now, if you've already had four kids, uh, she doesn't know right now that 10 years from now she won't say, yeah, you know, our experience has been different than I expected. Life has taught me other lessons. I couldn't have predicted how I was going to feel. And I do not feel, I'm just imagining, you know, maybe 10 years from now, after four kids, your wife might say, I don't feel like I thought I would feel. I, I, I think I am physically and emotionally and psychologically capable of having another child. So let's let's engage in the marital embrace even during the fertile time. So Brad, that may well be the case, right? And there's nothing nothing to preclude you from hoping in that, praying for that, but always with a a heart that is ready to, as St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, Submit to your wife out of reverence for Christ, right? Husbands and wives, this is the very first line of that whole passage on marriage. Paul says to spouses to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If she really and truly does have physical or emotional or psychological limitations that would prevent her from having child number five or from having child number three, or from needing space between number two and number three, or number one and number two, then love demands that you honor her there and refrain from the marital embrace when she is fertile. What you really want to do, and I hear this loudly and clearly, uh, Brad, in what you're saying, you want to honor God and honor your wife in your marriage. And that's what honoring God and honoring your wife in your marriage may well mean. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Brad, we don't know you and your, um, they're actually not married yet, you know, they're discerning marriage, as he said. We, we don't know the two of you, so we don't know, 
you know, your story or background. Are they not engaged? I was assume, assuming um, they were engaged. Maybe I was wrong. Just, he just said discerning marriage. Discerning sorry, marriage. Okay. Sorry about that, Brad. I was assuming you were already engaged and yeah. already sure that you were getting married. So, yeah. but take it in that light. Exactly. Um, I just, I can relate to, um, I, I could imagine myself as the woman in this scenario, but I'm myself, I'm not this woman. So I, you know, what I'm imagining might not be what she's experiencing, but, um, in all this beautiful readiness to lay down his life, which is beautiful and will hopefully translate into him being a very involved and helpful father and supportive husband, all it's all part of the, the story that, um, you know, of God calling us to experience the profound gift of new life as calling the best out of each of us, Amen. you know, and that's beautiful and grace-filled. Um, I I could imagine feeling if if I were she, a little concerned that he's maybe got more oomph to him mm. and might not really appreciate that not everyone feels the same ability to just go, go, keep going. Right. And she's just wanting him to be aware. This is the person I am. I see myself as likely having limited ability to meet that. And I, I I don't want you to pressure me to be someone I'm not. I want you to love me as I am. Yes, yes. That's how I could imagine myself presenting a, such a thing as saying I could only see about four children. You know, as you said, that totally could change. And and I think you and I have kept that attitude of Lord we are open. You are God. Yes. You yes. can make it possible for us to welcome more children. And we're not going to say no to that. Um, so anyway, I think that's just my thought for Brad is just to maybe what is the underlying message, um, which is maybe just, maybe I see this because we have grown so much through understanding our differences that this is just one area where a, maybe a deeper difference between the two of you is going to play out in the future. And um, to learn to respect that, that each one of you are gifted in the way that God made you unique. I, Brad, can share a personal story uh, to highlight what Wendy's getting at here that just is an instance of our differences and needing to recognize those differences and to honor you, Wendy, in those differences. Um, our youngest is 13. It's been that long since we've had a child. Uh, we have had just reasons in these years to be practicing natural family planning to avoid a, another conception. And that, by and large, has been, uh, Wendy, I hope you don't mind me saying this, because of of your limitations physically, emotionally, uh, the needs of our current children. Um, the, the church says we are to factor all of these things into our discernment. But you are you're about to turn 49, mm -hmm. and you're in the whole pre-menopause, I was about to say menopause, what the <laughs> heck was that? Pre-menopause stage of life, and I have felt as we've been approaching the end of our fertile years, I have felt this, whoa, 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 wait, 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 maybe, maybe we should have one more. 
And I remember, I don't know, it was within the last year that I presented that to you, and you just reminded me of who you are and your genuine limitations, which I know do not come from laziness or selfishness, but truly they they come from the way you're constituted. And it was just evident, evident in that moment that the loving thing for me to do as your husband was to honor that, just to honor it, honor it. That I, it was very clear. I am called mm. to honor Thank you, you, Wendy, in that difference. Thank you so much. You're, you're, you're welcome so much. And <laughs> I married you. I don't want to be married to somebody else. I don't want to be married to someone who doesn't have those limitations because that means I'd be married to someone who isn't you. <laughs> I don't want to be married to somebody who isn't you. I choose you. I choose you. That's something we'll often say to one another, just to, to, it's a way in our own love language that we, we know we're blessing and affirming the other's uniqueness and unrepeatability when we say, I choose you. So again, Wendy, I choose you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me choose you. Thanks for being excited that I've chosen you. I'm excited that I've chosen you. I have a question here from a listener named Claire. Hello, Claire. Uh, Claire says, I want to briefly say thank you to Wendy for extending your motherly warmth and compassion to all of us during this podcast. It's been so healing for me. Praise oh, God. You're welcome, Claire. I'm glad to know it. See, the, see there, well, that's that's a confirmation of what we we're saying earlier about another kind of mothering, mm. another kind of motherhood. Yeah. You do exemplify that love on this podcast. Claire saw it, feels it. Thank you. I feel it too, Claire. My question is, how do you help a friend who was raised Catholic and intellectually knows the church's teachings and even desires to live them and be in relationship with the Lord? How do I help them when they keep falling into sexual sin, go to confession, and continue to fall in the same way? I don't know how to best lead them to the merciful love of the Father. Mm. Wow, Claire. Uh, first, I just want to affirm your heart for this person. It's, it's evident that you have a genuine love for this person, desire for this person's good. Uh, that's what love is. Love is to desire the good of another and to work for the good of another. And I see all of that in your question. I, I want to say this as a kind of overarching point to frame my other comments, that in the end, you can only do what you can do, and you trust the rest to the Lord. This person has his or her own free will, uh, which you cannot intervene in. Uh, uh, all you can do is, is be a witness to his merciful love. And I think you already are, just I can tell that from the disposition of your question, but I don't know the first thing about this person who's falling repeatedly into sexual sin. I, I don't know if this person is aware of what gift we have in John Paul II's theology of the body, I would, if not, if this person's not aware, I would strongly encourage you, please share with this person some resources to help this person enter into the gift that John Paul II has given us. You might want to start with Theology of the Body for Beginners. 
Uh, you might want to invite that person to take an online or in-person course through the Theology of the Body Institute. Of course, there are many other ministries out there uh, who prom that promote Theology of the Body, many other authors who have written on the Theology of the Body. If this person is a woman um, and you would like uh, the perspective of a woman, I'd recommend the work of Katrina Zeno. I'd recommend the work of Anastasia Northrup. We talked about her earlier in the podcast. Uh, just Google Theology of the Body. Um, if you want to get my resources, you can go to our website, theologyofthebody.com. If you want to expand and go to some other great resources out there, Google Theology of the Body, and just start exploring and start sharing resources with this person. Without a vision, the Scripture says, we perish. Mm. The Theology of the Body gives us the divine vision for why we are made as male and female. And I remember reading it for the first time. I was 24 years old. And one of the things that just captured me, I was hearing it for the first time, mm. that Christ does not want us to repress erotic desire. Rather, this is a quote from John Paul II, Christ wants us to experience the fullness of eros, which implies the upward impulse of the human spirit towards what is true, good, and beautiful, so that what is erotic also becomes true, good, and beautiful. Right? The, 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 the person who falls repeatedly into sexual sin, there may well be uh, some level of addiction here. Uh, there, there may well be a minimized culpability because of an addiction here. That does not mean it doesn't still do severe damage to the person. It does. But in terms of, of responsibility, that can be diminished by, by addiction, by compulsion. But we are called to freedom, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And, and I often say we have three choices with eros, with erotic desire. We will either become a stoic, repress, 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 an addict, indulge, 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 or an aspiring mystic, right? What is an aspiring mystic? An aspiring mystic is someone who is opening eros, that yearning, that ache for love, for union, we open Eros to what Scripture calls the great mystery of Christ's love for the church. That's why we, we use the word mystic. We're opening our Eros, our yearning for love, for union, to the ultimate union, to the real union for which we most ardently long. Uh, Eastern Orthodox theologian Dr. Timothy Petitsis, who I have come to respect, says, the way we overcome bad Eros is with good eros and plenty of it. We must become, he says, an all-consuming eros for God. Right? And, and here, I want to underscore that the addict is actually closer in, in a very real way to the mystic than is the stoic. Why? Because the approach of the Stoic is to repress Eros, to negate Eros. The addict feels Eros, is not negating it, but is aiming it at finite pleasure. And that's why we become addicted. We become addicted when we 
aim our desire for infinite joy at finite pleasures. Uh, that's the very definition of addiction, because the finite pleasure can't satisfy our yearning for infinite joy, so we think we need more, and we think we need more and more and more. But what the addict has going for him is he or she is in touch with the desire, right? St. Augustine says, those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions, right? Now, I'm not promoting addiction. Please do not take this out of context as if you heard Christopher West say, well, being an addict is better than being a stoic, so I'll just be an addict. No, no, no. (laughs) Both the approach of the addict and the approach of the stoic, both of them, if they stay there, end in death. You can die from starvation. That's the approach of the stoic. But you can also die from food poisoning. That's the approach of the addict, right? I'm not condoning or promoting that approach. What I'm saying is the addict is already in touch with the desire. And so the conversion for the addict is to redirect desire towards what the addict really desires, which is the infinite joy of union with the Lord. We must become an all-consuming eros for God, who already, God already is an all-consuming eros for us, right? Pope Benedict says, is there any more mad eros than what Christ the bridegroom demonstrates in bearing in his body all of our hardship, all of our suffering, all of our sin? For what end? For the sake of the union that he wants to have with his bride, the church. Wow. Wendy, any any thoughts there? I'd just like to lift up Claire and her friend right now. Just, um, Lord, it is you who have given up your body as a beautiful gift for us. You who longed to give up your body for us. You who love to continually give up your body for us. Lord, help us to have hearts that are open to understanding the beauty of being made as a gift. All of this falling into sexual sin is not experiencing the beauty of being made as a gift. It's experiencing use and regret and remorse and pain. And Lord, I pray for this friend of Claire's in a particular way that he or she would come to recognize your overwhelmingly generous gift and begin to receive it, receive the healing you have in store so that you make us able to become a gift and to share in the joy you experience, Lord. Pray that for Claire. I pray that for her friend. I pray that for all our listeners. Let it be, Lord, as you desire it. I'll I'll offer one more suggestion to you, Claire, for your friend. Uh, Freedom Coaching. We'll have a link in the show notes. Freedom Coaching is a very successful way of, of breaking the chains of sexual addiction. Uh, I have dear friends who, who are part of that as coaches. I know others who have taken advantage of their s- services and have experienced great liberation. So check out that link to learn more. And I want to say to all of our listeners, keep the questions coming. You are the soul of this podcast. I guess the Holy Spirit should really be the soul. But we wouldn't have a podcast if it weren't for you 
questions. And if you are a patron of the TOB Institute, make sure you submit your question through the link on your patron homepage. That gives you a much higher probability that your question will be answered. And if you guys know somebody out there who needs to hear what you heard in today's episode, click that share button and help us spread this good news. Until our next episode, may you know it in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.